I want to be in gratitude. Let me start remembering all the things I'm thankful for right now. Steer yourself from the malevolent to the benevolent. That's what a yogi is. The awareness that it takes, and awareness is another word from enlightenment. Enlightenment means, and means to do something. Enlightened means the light, to make light, to bring light to something. Because you can't see in the dark. You can only see when it's light. So enlightenment means to see, which means to create awareness. Because it's only when you're aware of how you are that you can stop doing the shit that's hurting you. Right? Now, it's not easy to stop. You know, we're, I heard some crazy Harvard study that 80% of the thoughts we have are the same thoughts we have every single day, which means the greatest addiction of our life is the place where our mind dwells. And even though our mind dwells in a sick place, we become accustomed to it and comfortable. Like the cigarette smoker is comfortable smoking, even though they're poisoning themselves. So we're comfortable in our sick mentality, even though when you look at the news, you complain about what you see, even though everything you see is coming from you. Welcome back to the OB Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and this is the place where every week we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. We are committed to bringing meaningful conversations to the endurance sports world and sharing expanded perspectives that assist this community in realizing that what we see is not all there is, and what we do or achieve is not who we are. We have the energy that creates worlds coursing through our beings right now, and we have beautiful minds that are tools just waiting to be tamed. For BJ and I, yoga is the path for continued transformation and growth as athletes and humans. Like for many, it started as a physical practice for us. But over the course of the last few decades, it has become a way of living. Yoga's eight limbs, including its ethical guidelines for living, such as nonviolence, non-greed, self-study, and truthfulness, have supported our growth and expansion by teaching us that all the answers reside within, and that, at our essence, we are compassionate, powerful beings, and every day, BJ and I go to the stillness within to learn more. Today, we are diving in with a yogi who's been walking this path for more than 40 years. Brian Kess began practicing yoga at the age of 14. Brian is the creator of Power Yoga and owner of Santa Monica Power Yoga and Meditation, which for decades has held the unique business model of being a donation-based studio. Brian has led more than 24,000 classes and leads workshops, trainings, and retreats throughout the world and online with one distinct objective to strengthen the benevolent and eradicate the malevolent. We are honored to be here in Brian's home studio in Ojai, California, and excited to go deep with this very passionate yogi from suburban Detroit. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for welcoming us into your home in such an unprecedented time that we're experiencing here on Earth. Yes, and you're welcome. So good to, um, to be able to have this format to uh, continue sharing with people. Yeah, so we're recording this podcast on March 17th. A lot is changing uh, with this coronavirus and fear is heightened. The pain body is awake and ready to engage. A lot of people are going in, meditating more. We're seeing contrast, I think, like I've never seen it before in my lifetime. So what do you, what do you believe from a yogic perspective that we are all getting the opportunity to learn? Um, that's a, you know, really good question. I haven't considered that and I don't know, I don't really know the answer to that anyways. I think that, that will be seen, you know, that will be determined, you know, which direction this is pushing us towards, you know, for us yogis, it really shouldn't change anything. It's status quo. You know, you just walk through whatever comes through, you know, comes at you, you know, equanimously, you know, and, and personally for me, I don't, I don't know how other people feel, but you know, I do have a certain trust in the perfection of everything and that the universe knows what it's doing. And my job is to follow my passion to the best of my ability. It's kind of like the old Christian serenity prayer, you know, do what you can do and accept what you can't do, you know? So, you know, here we are in the midst of coronavirus and I'm going to keep doing the things I think are valuable and, um, and important for me and my family and my community and this planet. And um, I'm gonna keep going in that direction. And then, you know, however the outer circumstances, you know, force me to shift, I will shift. I mean, I don't really know what, what's gonna happen. I mean, there's a lot of people out there talking about the good 
that can come out of this and that's already coming out of this as as you mentioned earlier you know it's kind of pushing people inward pushing people to get quiet you know, uh, disconnecting from all the social and all that, which might leave a gap that might fill with insight. Who knows if people aren't filling that gap with other crap online, who knows? Um, hopefully, uh, you know, people do get a lot of benefit from this challenge, these challenging times. Has it drawn you in a little bit more? Have you been meditating more or have you felt any, contrast yourself through the experience just with the energy of of um i mean we're in ohio which feels really different i think from than like manhattan right now but have you felt any triggers or the any pain body activation within yourself no i mean i've been i've been fine um it's it's um it's a normal day to me you know i mean there are minor adjustments you know i had my kids are not in school i deal with that um, you know, financially I'm being hit hard, really hard and, um, you know, take a deep breath and deal with that and just keep moving forward, you know, keep going forward with my yoga practice, keep going forward with my fatherhood and, and parenthood and, and relationships. And so, you know, I mean, I'm throwing curveballs all the time, you know, and there might be a time where this coronavirus hits closer to home and I might answer your question differently, but right now. You know, I'm just still doing the same thing. And certainly the coronavirus is maybe shifting the direction slightly in which I'm moving. But that direction has been shifted by thousands of other things that have come into my life, whether it's a death in the family or it's, uh, you know, some other issue that's going on that I have to deal with. So, um, you know, I don't think that we deal with this issue different than other issues from a yoga perspective. And you offer yoga online too. So really the practice doesn't have to stop. We actually took one of the free classes last night, Oh, good. which reminded me what an ass kicker um, of a class that you teach while really encouraging gentleness throughout it. Mm -hmm. And I remember that from the workshop I took with you. I took an, uh, what you would, what you called, um, I don't know if you still call it this, like an LSD class, the long, long slow, slow deep. deep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a special one. It is a special one. And it's not the wrong name either. LSD, because no. you come out of that so stoned. Yeah. <laughs> it, no, I do remember that. And uh, But what I do remember is a 10-minute forward fold at the end. Yeah, everybody remembers that one. That's why, you know, that's why I tell everybody, you know, that's what you're paying for. You know, you're paying for an experience. You're gonna Whether you like this class or not, you're going to get an experience here. And it's going to be such an experience that you're going to be telling your grandkids about it. And here we are years later and you happen to bring that up, right? Because that sticks into your head. And that's when you know people got their money's worth because, you know, they got something that stands out as an experience, like it or not. It's an experience, you know, and you like it, then you can move in that direction to the degree that you want. You don't like it, then you move away from it. But both of those things are important, right? Because one either pushes you towards what you want or the other one, you know, helps you realize that, you know, this is something that you do like and you want. So, yeah. Yeah, and in that practice last night, it was the uh, the knee come into the opposite elbow and hold it. And you were like, just be calm and breathe. And normally when we add that routine, it's kind of like in and out, like once or twice, but actually pausing and holding it was one of those memorable moments. And I'm like, wow, okay. Your mind goes into like, how long do we, I don't want to do this. I, breathe. All right. And relax. Totally. Re relax in the intensity. And I think that's a timeless message to relax in the intensity, but relax your jaw, relax your neck. Well, look, well, you know, this yoga practice, that you guys did of my class online or you take your my workshops or my classes in person what have you you know why do you think they call it practice yoga practice right it's like it, it's not even really about what you're doing it's about practicing what you're doing in a certain way so when you leave the the yoga mat and you go in your life you know, you have a stronger foundation in certain things, you know, because if what you do in yoga doesn't help you in the world, then it's worthless because you spend 99.99% of your time out off the yoga mat, right? So like be calm in a difficult moment. Well, wow, we have coronavirus permeating um, the world right now. Like, you know, re you know, being emotional, being reactive isn't going to help the situation. No one really acts responsibly when they're emotional or reactive. 
So, you know, we get a chance to just practice being calm in a difficult moment. And, and that actually transcends this, the, the yoga practice and permeates your life. It's like calmness is a muscle and you're developing it. Just like if you develop your biceps by doing push-ups in a yoga class, it's going to help you carry groceries and carry children more easily. What you did in yoga helped you outside of yoga. And it's the same with being calm. It's the same with being gentle. It's the same with being humble which means get the hell out of your ego and back off, which means you don't have to worry about how long Brian keeps you in that yoga pose because you can say to Brian anytime you want, fuck you, I'm out, right? Right, you're giving people permission to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're misinterpreting the challenge mm -hmm. if you think the challenge is to force yourself to stay here as long as I'm keeping you here. The challenge is actually for you to say, fuck you, Brian, I'm out. Right. The challenge is, is to, to tune into your needs and be respectful of them. And my dialogue is supposed to be encouraging that. But just because your needs are to come out doesn't mean the person next to you's needs is to come out. So I got to hold y'all in the pose for a certain amount of time. So everybody has a chance to challenge themselves. But where that challenge is for every person is a different spot. So each person should be coming out of that pose at a different time. Right. So but you can't you know, you, that can't happen unless you keep people there for a certain amount of period time where even the strongest people in the room have an opportunity to be challenged because without the challenge, the class is worthless. Right. Like, how do you practice being calm in difficult moments if there's no difficult moments? How do you practice being accepting of your boundaries and limitations if you never experienced them? How do you practice getting out of your ego and backing off? You know, if the class is so easy, you never have to back off. So, but as you can see, the challenge is different. The challenge isn't keeping up with me. The challenge is on working on those other things, right? So yeah, the, it's gonna be challenging. And that one pose you described, when you do hold it, I realized like I was just going through that like one breath and out, you know? And I realized, wow, these are muscles like you would never normally touch if you didn't do this pose. Like when you're doing the knee to the opposite elbow and you try to lift the knee, mm -hmm. what muscle is that? <laughs> like what the hell muscle is that? Like, you know, and if you don't touch something, you know, you can't take care of it. So in holding that, we're touching things that otherwise you might never touch, right? And then how are you gonna feel your best? You know, if you're walking around with a bunch of dead, stagnant, atrophy places in your body because they never get touched. You know, you can't take care of something you don't touch. So that's just kind of a creative way to activate a place in your body. But still, the message isn't to, you know, hold it longer than what feels appropriate to you. We're, we're so programmed to push through, to truck through life. And this idea of, well, and we know this is like a spiritual law, right? Like maximum benefit for minimal effort, you know, slowing down um, more, more space in your life. And this is something that people are ha having a really hard time doing is this slowing down. What is your take on this inability or this, this programming that we've received to just go, 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 go? And how does one start to slow down? Well, you know, I think it, I believe, you know, from my own experience, I just speak from my experiences, I just believe it's unhealthy. You know, I believe that, you know, we've been all brainwashed by our society, you know, um, I'm not saying that there's, uh, um, you know, a conspiracy or there's any maliciousness about it, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we've been misguided. I mean, humanity has been, you know, misguided from time immemorial. That's why all these great beings came to our planet, you know, and like, you know, what was Jesus's message? Do not judge, you know, and what was Buddha's message? Moderation and Mother Teresa, compassion. You know, they were all addressing, you know, humanity's issues and trying to, um, you know, guide people in a more benevolent direction. And so the issue isn't new, but I think it's exasperated at this point, you know, and I think the media, the technology and, you know, the internet and television and all that allows the malevolent message to be shared more easily. And there's a, there's a psychological law that says the more you see something, the more you believe it, you know? So you grow up seeing this insanity and, like literally insanity, like, you know, we grew up in our country thinking that more is better. You know, when the truth is more is the same is not enough. It's an extreme. You know, how about something more personal, something in between, but you don't hear that you hear more is better and you hear no pain, no gain. But the truth is no pain, no injury. You know, like who, what rational person on earth would seek pain? You know, it's, it's nuts. I mean, there's enough pain in life. You don't have to seek it. 
You know, it's so, you know, I mean, it's true that you gain from all experiences. So you do gain from pain, but you gain from everything because your teacher in your life is your experience. So whatever you're experiencing, you're going to gain from if you're aware, but you don't seek pain. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, there's a universal law that states the harder you are in anything, the faster you destroy it. It doesn't make sense to ever push your body hard once in your life if you want to last as long as possible and feel as good as possible. It, what makes sense is to be gentle. And then you can take that in. Which relationship do you know responds positively to force and aggression? So why would you ever lay that trip on yourself, right? But which relationship do you know responds positively to gentleness, right? Everyone. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we working on gentleness? Because if you're gentle with your body, you can't force yourself into a Lululemon outfit two sizes too small. If you're gentle with your body, you can't grow your bicep bigger than your head so you can crush people with your bare hands. We got a bunch of people running around like a chicken with their head cut off trying to fulfill a message that's been jammed down their throat since the time they could open their eyes by a society that's more interested in them buying their products than being well, right? This is what we learned and it's insane because if any of you wanna buy, if you two here, just if you wanna buy a used car, who do you wanna buy it from? Because we all wanna buy the used car from the same person, right? The little old lady from Pasadena, right? Why? because Pasadena is the most gentle climate on earth for automobiles. There's no snow, there's no rain, there's no humidity, there's no salt on the roads, there's no salt in the air. Metal doesn't rust in Pasadena. And then the little old lady, she barely drove her car, right? And when she does, she drives so slow and careful. When you go to buy that car, that car's like 25 years old, it's like buying a brand new car. The last thing you'd ever wanna do is buy a used car from a taxi driver from New York City. That, that car has been used and abused. But you know whose body that is? An athlete's body. Athletes spend their entire life beating the shit out of their bodies. Their bodies break down faster than anybody else's. But what do we do? We look at the athlete's body and we say, that's healthy. I say, that's bullshit. And we bought it hook, line, and sinker. You can't turn on a television show and look at the cover of a magazine without being told how a woman should look. You see that enough and you believe that's what beautiful is. And then you look in the mirror and you don't see that in yourself. You think there's something wrong with you. That's why 99.999% of all women look at themselves naked in the mirror and have judgmental or critical thoughts mm -hmm. about themselves. Now you want to talk about something unhealthy? Try to think of anything that causes more stress than self-loathing or not being okay with what is. Try to think of anything on earth that creates more disease than stress. 95% of all physical disease is coming from mental stress according to our medical community, the AMA, American Medical Association, right? So it's like, what creates stress? Like, you know, stop partaking in these stress producing habit patterns. And our, you know, our whole culture is, um, you know, been, been programmed to think a certain way that has got us, and you can see the obvious, it's got us destroying our own planet, right? But so you know, the harder you are in anything, the faster you destroy it, because you've seen that in every single thing in your life. Matter of fact, you've never seen anything outside of that. So if your goal is to last as long as possible, feeling as amazing as possible, why on earth would you ever push your body hard? Now, there is other reasons like money, athletes. You know, if you're willing to sacrifice your health and wellness for millions of dollars, that's your choice. I'm not here to judge you because, you know, there's no room for judgment. People have the right to do whatever they want. But understand what you're doing has nothing to do with health. But it's weird how we can see it outside of like society doesn't tell us, you know, not to buy a used car from an old lady. But so we don't question it there. But society does tell us um, the harder. I mean, it does tell us no pain, no gain or does tell us what healthy looks like and all this stuff. So it's like we compartmentalize in our head like these truths that we know. And the truth fits this situation, buying a used car. But we can't see that same truth in another situation because they told us something different and we believe them, right? Because we've been seeing this over and over again our whole mm -hmm. life. So even though we know the truth in other scenarios, because the message that's been put into our head overrides the truth, we can't see it in other situations. If you Google healthiest exercise on earth, you know what comes up number one? Walking. Mm -hmm. You know what walking is? It's the most gentle exercise on earth. Number two, swimming. Two non-impactful activities, right? Because they're gentle on the body. So, you know, I'm just trying to remind people, you know, to uh, to pay attention, you know, and to to notice how 
these messages are affecting us in a malevolent way, in a way that produces stress. Then they can make a choice of whether they want to keep partaking or not. Yoga doesn't even tell you what to do. Yoga just says to you, wake up and see what you're doing and then ask yourself four questions. Does this help me, my family, my community, and the planet? Then do what the hell you want. Because yoga realizes there are no wrong decisions because sometimes you have to go down a path and get so messed up that finally you're willing to look at things from a different perspective. So yoga doesn't even look at coronavirus or cancer or divorce or any of these difficult situations in our life as bad, even though it respects the fact that they're not easy and they're not fun and you would never wish it on anybody. But if you're going through it, maybe you need to go through it in order to help you wake up because you weren't waking up with the little things the universe was giving you to help wake you up. It's like sometimes you just need something hard to shake you out of the doldrum you've been lost in. You're touching upon so many potent um, messages here because we're totally. speaking to a global audience, primarily endurance athletes, right? So BJ and I bring meditation, mindfulness, and the, you know, the practices of yoga to endurance sports. Um, this is what I feel is on my heart, right? To bring to the world. Now there was a time that nobody, want, no athlete wanted to talk to us. You know, they're talking like they're going to make me forget about the meditation. They didn't even want to do the yoga. But now um, people are waking. They're waking up. And, and a question that BJ, I hear him asking um, our team all the time, our team of athletes is like, is this what you want to do? Like, it doesn't matter if you want to do it or not, but just make sure that you're in love with this process that you're in and that we're not doing it for the finish line, for the medal, for, um, you know, for the results right? To do the work for the sake of the work. And a big thing that he's always teaching our athletes and does in our, in our coaching is stress the body, rest the body so that the body can adapt. Right. And so, you know, I understand that I push my body long, but, um, down regulating that nervous system and meditation every day, I, f I feel like I I'm taking measures to add that gentleness into my life, being an endurance athlete, but I'm also always checking in, you know, with my heart on, do I still love what I do? Does this still feel on purpose? And I, and it, it doesn't matter if it's a yes or a no, but it, I think the practices of yoga wake us up to the choices that we make. And it gives us an opportunity to choose a way if what we've been choosing is not serving us or serving our family or serving our community or serving what we feel is our purpose here in this, in this life. So the gentle side of yoga, like for endurance athletes. So we're talking primarily people who are racing long distance triathlon and ultra running, like trail running. Um, how can the, what are the, the gentle practices of yoga or the gentle messages of yoga that these athletes can kind of take with them? Well, the number one, you know, Again, the harder you are on anything. So all these people have to know that physically speaking, what they're doing is not great for them. You know, it's not. I mean, if, if the law stands, the harder you are on anything, the faster you destroy it. So then the question becomes, okay, what counter measures can I take to counterbalance what this is doing to me? Because I'm gaining so much from this stuff mentally that I don't want to stop, but I also don't want the negativity on my body that this stuff's giving me. So how can I counterbalance it? And the first thing that pops into my mind is um, don't do it in a competitive manner. Don't compete. Do it out of love, not out of caring whether you beat the time that you did before or you beat anybody else. Because, you know, the truth is the truth. And, you know, and that truth is Although it's slightly different with you endurance athletes, but the truth is, is you've never once seen a competitive athlete excel at their sport after the age of 35. Unless, of course, they're on steroids, then you could push it to 40. There is a slight difference with triathletes because, because it has so much to do with the mind that triathletes actually can, can compete on the highest level into their early 40s even. You know, so you can take that a little farther, but for each human, there's going to be a point, a tipping point where you go the other way, you reach your physical peak and go the other way. So if you're measuring your progress on your physical prowess, you have no choice but to digress. 
because there is going to be a point where you, you're not going to be. Carl Lewis will never run as fast again. Edwin Moses will never run as fast as again, right? It's like there's so it's find a new paradigm to 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 run for. You know what? Find another reason rather than needing to be better. How about you know find another reason because. If you're trying to do more than what you did before, you know, listen, you wake up every day different. Let, I'm going to take some gross examples, okay? I mean, you're, let's say a woman wakes up full of PMS, right? Like she just wants to punch her spouse or whatever, you know? She's feeling it. And, you know, that PMS is literally affecting her on every level. So should she run the same distance while feeling PMS as when she didn't feel PMS? And then the PMS goes and now she starts menstruating. Right. And the menstruation is heavy and that heavy menstruation is affecting this person. So what do you need today? Right. And then the menstruation goes and then she discovers she's pregnant. And of course, the first month or two pregnancy, you know, you don't want to do anything jarring because you want that little embryo to stick to the womb. You know, you don't want to do anything that messes with that. Right. So what are your needs now? Do you run in your first month of pregnancy? The same way you ran before you were pregnant? No, you know, not if you care about the embryo, you know, and then what about when she's full blown pregnant? You know, well, you got this to deal with, right? And then the pregnancy has gone and now she's depressed, right? They call it postpartum. Like what's going on now? What are your needs? And then the postpartum has gone and now she's menopausal. I mean, you ladies got a lot of shit going on, don't you? And, but, yeah. the, but these are gross examples. So in each one of these stages that a woman's going through, right, should she run the same as when she wasn't going through it? No. And if you're competing with some time, you're going to disrespect your needs because your needs are not to do the same as what you did when you weren't dealing with this stuff. And I was, you know, picking on women a little bit, but the truth is it's all of us. We, from birth to death, we're incessantly changing. Like in yoga, what yoga actually does is yoga, the goal of yoga, one way to state it, because there's other ways to state it, other ways that I... I appreciate, but according to Pantanjali, the goal of yoga is chitta, vritta, naroda, right? Which basically means the cessation of fluctuations of your mind. In other words, quiet down your mind, which by its, I'm sure is no coincidence that they're saying 95% of disease is coming from stress and there's nothing more opposite of stress than having a quiet mind, right? But, you know, when your mind's quiet, right, you're not distracted, you can tune into your unique experience you're having because every day you're changing. Right. And according to the unique your experience you're having, you make intelligent decisions and then a workout becomes healing because you're honoring what you're feeling, which is why you're given feelings. Right. Instead of generically just running to beat that time, which you're could be completely, utterly disrespecting your needs in that moment. So instead of running to win or instead of running to do better, why don't you run for another reason? And, you know, you runners are going to have to figure out what that reason is. If it's joy, then run for joy. You'll have more joy if you get rid of that friggin' watch. Because, it, you know, there's not any joy of falling 10 minutes behind you, the time that you wanted to run. Right? The, where's the, what's the joy in that? Now you're all stressed out because you're not, you're not beating your time. You know, you're, or that, you know, you're, you're, you know, that you're a big, strong guy and that girl's way ahead of you or, you know, or, or, you know, or whatever, or, or you know, there's a, you know, only the people who do this time get accepted in the next triathlon event, or there's a lot of reasons why that stuff can create stress for you and make this not an enjoyable experience. Cause I used to, you know, I'm a, I never was a triathlete, but you know, I would easily run 10 miles through the mountains barefoot. You know, that was my joy in my life. You know, I lived up in Topanga Canyon and you know, I lived on Red Rock Road. I don't know if you ever guys been on Red mm -hmm. Rock Road, but it's like the most, you know, you could put a blindfold on and someone drop you off there in a million years. You'd never guess you're in the middle of L.A. It's like stunning. And my passion was running barefoot through the mountains, you know, because they say on the bottom of your feet, there's a reflective point for every organ in your body. They call it reflexology. So as you walk or run barefoot, you're pressing on all these points. The end result was basically literally amazing. Right. But. It was joyful, right? I, I never had a watch on. I didn't care how fast. I mean, just the fact that I could run that far for that long was certainly enough for me, you know? And then um, car accident, bad back, you know, um, I could no longer run. So then I shifted to mountain biking because it was less impact than running. But even mountain biking, eventually coming down those dirt trails and I got flipped, broke my shoulder. And so then it pushed me to walking and hiking which I love to this day. That's what I do. You know, I walk and hike and, um, 
it, all those things push me to walking. So it's kind of like I had to let go of that stuff, but it pushed me in a direction that I actually ended up loving. So I'm actually thankful for my back problem because it pushed me to where I am now, even though when I got my back problem, you know, I was very upset about it. You know, mm. basically, if I would have just trusted my experience, but I know I'm going off off topic. No, here, but, but I, I, love, I love what you're saying, because the whole time you were in joy, you loved the, the trail running and then you loved the mountain biking. And then there was a little bit of attachment there. You got angry about the back, but then it took you to something else that brings you joy. And then you realize how perfect the back injury was. Right. So that's coronavirus. It is. It's no different. It's like, okay, challenges are happening. But if you, again, if you're paying attention to your life, right, you can see Mother Earth or whatever has taught us. You know, if you want your muscle to grow, you have to challenge it. Without challenge, there is no growth in this life. So the question is, are challenges bad, even though they don't feel good? I don't think they're bad. And if you realize that challenges are opportunities to become less reactive and more accepting, mm -hmm. to become stronger and wiser and more creative and insightful, then you realize even though challenges don't feel good, they're not bad. And when you understand that, it changes the way you respond to challenges. And then challenges start affecting you less negatively because you're not looking at them as a negative thing, right? So they're not stressing you because something that you look at as a positive won't stress you. It's only when you look at it as a negative. When you take the negative aspect out of the challenge, coronavirus, back injury, what have you, divorce, what have you, you realize this is all, a, it's like a challenging yoga pose. Like, you know, you're not even a benefit from the yoga if it doesn't challenge you. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? Breathe and accept, you know, and watch it shift, you know? Well, this is so timely because you know, a lot of races are being canceled. So athletes, endurance athletes are challenged right now with this. This is the very thing. And it's, wrote about it today the very thing like what what is it that they can find in it and you talked about joy and and just be out there for the joy of it what if someone can't make that connection just yet like sometimes that stirs up something in in someone that says oh if i don't have my running what do i have what what am and now we are getting really deep into who am i like i can't run i can't bike right now i can't get to the pool you're telling me i'm supposed to be running just to run and not have a watch or to, to, to race this? How can, how can someone bridge that gap? How can, cause it's a scary place. It, obviously the three of us have been doing some work and we can, we're okay with the stillness, but someone who needs that physical activity. Well, you can still run. No one said don't run. We just said, take the watch off. Yeah. And if you don't find joy in running, then you're doing the wrong thing anyways. And if you do find joy in running, then you don't need the watch because you already found joy. You like running. And no matter what, you got to admit, whether the watch is on or not, when you're done running, you're still going to have the runner's high. You're still going to have the endorphins. You're still going to feel amazing, right? I mean, if running makes you feel good, if you like that runner's high, if you like the heightened level of cardio strength that you get from that experience, if you like everything about running, then you're going to get all that. Taking the watch off is the only thing it does is it nullifies any egotistical part of running, right? Because now you're not um, comparing and competing, basically, which, you know, I feel is the, I don't think there's anything wrong with sports at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, any, what I think is, is the problem is, 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 is the, the comparing and the competing. There's nothing wrong with sports. What's wrong is telling the winners that they're good and the losers that they're not good. That's what's wrong, right? Because it, it's nuts. That's where, you know, stress comes from. You know, liking what you see. It's like people on a roller coaster, up and down. They like what they see. They don't like what they see. They like what, you know, I won, I'm happy. I lost, I'm not happy. I want to, I mean, what keeps you more stressed out than that? Like constantly measuring yourself against something you're not even in control of. Right. Because you can't really control whether you're going to win or not or whether you're going to make that time or not. There's so many factors that come into play, whether it's age or it's illness or it's injury or it's, you know, just meeting someone who's genetically different than you. You know, if you look at the Olympics, you'll see every event draws a different body type. Some bodies excel at things more optimally than other bodies. You know, you can have a gold medalist gymnast, right, a gold medal gymnast right? Who understands what it, what a work ethic is. I mean, how do you ever win a gold medal if you don't understand what a work ethic is and discipline and all that stuff, but no matter how hard that person tries, they'll never be a gold medal, hundred meter sprinter, completely different body type, right? 
the gymnasts are, you know, five feet or shorter, right? So they're, they're uh, what's that called when you're closer to the ground? They're, they're not their leverage, but they're... Um, oh, like uh, center of gravity. Yeah, their center of gravity is lower, they, which allows them to excel at their sport better. A tall person could never do it. That's why you never see someone over six feet winning a gold medal in gymnastics, right? So their body excels at one thing where the runner's body or a swimmer, you see all swimmers have the same body in the Olympics. Those bodies excel at other things. So, you know, the truth is, is, is that different bodies excel differently at different at different events so it's actually comparing and competing is like insane and pathetic because how do you compare with someone who's got a different body than you right you can't compare with them they're different than you you know so it's actually insane anyways unless you're willing to disrespect yourself because your needs are different than them i always say to people in class i'm like have you ever seen anybody with a really long nose now when you saw that really long nose did you think man this person must be incredibly healthy of course not. That's ridiculous. Like, why would the length of their nose have anything to do with their health? Right? Well, did you know we all have different length hamstrings and we all have different length hip tendons and we all have different length deltoids? Like, we're all, our bodies are different, right? We're all supposed to do the same thing to a different degree. Not the same degree, but sports has got everybody trying to do it to the same degree. You're all trying to make that, that mark you have to beat in order to win, Right. And so I think that sports is highly destructive, not because of the activity, but because of the mentality behind the activity. And that same mentality is what's creating the rat race, right, where people are trying to win in business, right? People are trying to win by having more money than other people. It's like it's this mentality and it becomes really cutthroat and backstabbing and do what you got to do. And it transcends into sports. And that's why you get the drugs and you get the injuries and all that stuff, because it doesn't matter what genre or what aspect of humanity you look at, the disease is the friggin' same. That's why Jesus's message is for everybody, not just triathletes or or any other group of people. You know, Buddha's message is for everybody. Mother Teresa's example is for everybody, right? Gandhi's example is for everybody because the disease is the same, whether it's for triathletes or for yogis or for, you know, doctors or plumbers or, or you know, tennis players or whatever. The disease is the same. And the message is the same and the practice is the same. Yeah. Uh, so you started practicing early on, 14 years old. Uh, how did you get into yoga? Uh, my dad, my dad told me I have to do yoga and get the hell out of the house. I didn't have a choice. How, a else, how, how else would a 14 year old get into it? I mean, it's like, not, we're not going to choose to do it. You know, at least I wasn't going to choose. My son actually at 13 started his own yoga YouTube site. So he's choosing to do it, um, because that's all he's ever seen, you know? So, you know, the fruit won't fall far from the tree most likely. So but that's a different scenario. You know, me growing up in uh, suburban Detroit, Detroit itself, and then suburban Detroit, um, you know, that's not what I had seen. And my dad was not any type of yogi up to a certain point. So, yeah, I mean, if he didn't force me, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I hated stretching. I didn't see the value of it. I would, you know, I grew up with like every other American boy. You know, my role models were Clint Eastwood and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's what being a man is. And I didn't see yoga giving me any of that. So, you know, I was not interested in that. Just like women grow up, pro, you know, seeing what beautiful is. And then they try to conform to that. You know, it's like, you know, I, I was programmed by my culture. And, you know, so my dad actually had to force me because I was never going to do it on my own. But eventually, you know, um, something shifted in me. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is amazing. I mean, I feel amazing. And at that point, he never had to force me again. Because I, I started to recognize the benefits of it physically physically and mentally i mean i still remember the day i realized it because i was doing some gardening for him we were on the island of maui you know we were we were lucky enough to be in the first ashtanga yoga class on earth outside of india when david williams brought ashtanga yoga to the world outside of india you know and he had a class on maui you know and i was lucky enough to be in that first ashtanga class and i was he going every day without, you know, no choice about it. My dad was making me. And I still remember I was doing some gardening after one of the classes or sometime during that day. And I remember like standing up and taking a deep breath and just being like, I love the way I felt. And I couldn't just say it was physical. I just love the way I felt, you know, probably most of it was mental because you'll never love the way you feel if you don't feel good mentally. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then I looked down at my body and I loved the body that I saw because I was still an egomaniac. And I, was, I hadn't deleted the program that was put into my head by my culture. So I loved my body because the Ashtanga was so strong that it was maintaining all the muscles I had achieved from lifting weights prior to that. So my ego was fulfilled and I was feeling amazing. So from that day on, basically, he never, um, you know, he never had to force me again to practice. But that's how it started. What do you think he would have done if he didn't, if he didn't force you to do yoga? What do you think I would have done? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. I see, I don't believe that he was really forcing me to do yoga. I believe the universe was giving me what I was asking for because I always had a desire to be the best that I could be. I didn't know what that was. In, in my culture, the best you could be would be lifting weights because I always said the best you could be was the healthiest you could be mm-hmm. on every level, the healthiest you could be. That's what I related the best was the healthiest. And when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of tools for being healthy. A good meal was, you know, eat, making sure you eat the four food groups like bacon, eggs, a fruit and toast or whatever, right? That was a good meal and lifting weights. That's what exercise was back then. If it wasn't lifting weights, it was calisthenics. It was one of those two things. We didn't have any other choices. So that's what I did, you know, but I think because I did want to be the best, like, you know, when you're ready, the teacher will appear, right? So then out of nowhere, my dad has a bad back. Someone tell, you know, he's a surgeon. He got the surgeries and did everything he could for his back, but nothing was helping. Someone said, try yoga. Right. And then he really appreciated the yoga because he was a very stressed out person. And the yoga was um, helping him deal with his stress. Right. And then he thought, man, I want my kids to do that. So then he forced me to do it. So was it really for him forcing me to do it? Or was the universe bringing me yoga because my desire was to be the best I could be? And yoga, to, to this day, I still believe is the ultimate path for that. Agree to be the best that I can be 100%. So, you know, the path was presented to me and, and it didn't take me long to realize it. And it happened that day I was gardening, you know, I'm like, wow, this is it. And I also started realizing that all my aesthetic desires, even though they didn't disappear immediately, it's a process of disempowering this program that's been jammed down my throat since the time I could open my eyes. Right. Um, so that doesn't go away immediately, but you can start weakening it from day one because the less you partake in it, the weaker it gets. There's another universal law, right? If you give it food, it becomes strong. If you don't give it food, it starves and dies. In yoga, the big question is, is what the hell are you feeding? What are you feeding 24-7 and you don't even know you're feeding it? Because they taught us math, history, and science, but they never taught us the largest factor in our life is the place where our mind dwells. Right. So all day long, you're feeding these mental habit patterns, these thought patterns. Right. And, you know, the thought patterns are this is what healthy is and this is what it looks like and this is what I want. And, you know, and it takes a little while to that's why the goal of yoga is to quiet your mind. So you're not partaking in that mentality. Or you could say the goal of yoga is enlightenment and enlightenment means awareness to be able to see how you are so you can stop doing the shit that's hurting you. Right? Because in yoga, there is no enemies out there. All the enemies are in here. Everything out there is a reflection of what's in here, right? Which is why Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see. And I promise you, he wasn't talking about your hamstrings, right? He was talking about like, you know, wh- how are you? You know, what, where are, where's your mind rolling? Because that's what you're going to manifest, right? So if you don't want violence in your life, stop having violent thoughts. You know, if you don't want regret in your life, stop regretting. You know, and then those situations that you might regret won't manifest anymore. But you're, we're creating our reality. Now there's even quantum physics that is confirming this because they discovered a law that says like attracts like. In other words, you draw to you that of which you are, which means there's nothing you can see that's not coming from you. I started noticing my desires to be a certain way, like to look a certain way, to be a powerful man, to be impressive, to be beautiful to all this stuff. And then when I started noticing that, you know, I had a choice to, to indulge in that thought process or stop indulging. And when you stop indulging, that process becomes weaker and weaker because that process needs your indulgence in order to maintain its strength, right? So you stop, you start noticing the sick place your mind rolls. And then those sick qualities become weaker and weaker and weaker. And if you want, 
you can steer your mind to roll in a more benevolent place, whether it's gratitude or compassion or gentleness or humility. You guys are interviewing a yogi, right? And a yo yoga, which is what a yogi partakes in, is a Sanskrit word. And if you translate that word into English, it literally means literally, and let's say literally because everybody has their esoteric interpretations, but if we're all gonna come to the same conclusion, then we have to have the same definition. Like, what does this word really mean, right? Because if we're all making up definitions of what yoga means, then we might not really get to the, the same point. So the literal translation of yoga into English means to yoke, right? And when I say yoke, I'm not talking about Y-O-L-K. Okay, I'm talking about Y-O-K-E, right? This is the goal, the yoga translated into English means to yoke. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's only one reason in the entire world you would ever yoke anything. What is that reason? To bring it together. To, well, to steer it. Because you would never, but you are totally correct because you used to have to yoke two bisons together right? To plow the field. Mm -hmm. So you could call yoking harnessing, right? Mm -hmm. um, or you might not have to bring it together. It just might be one bison, right? But you still got to yoke it. You got to harness it in order to steer it, right? So it's actually impossible to steer anything in the world that's not yoked. Even a drone is yoked electronically, right? So I find it incredibly interesting that the word yoga translated in English means to yoke. And the only reason on earth you would ever yoke anything is to steer it. They're telling you right there, this is about steering yourself instead of being steered, right? Like we grow up since the time our mother put us in front of that television set, you know, and it's not mom's fault. She just needed a fucking break, right? <laughs> Dad would have done the exact same thing for probably even longer than mom, right? But listen, when you watched, first of all, you're mostly, you know, from the age zero to five is when your total character is formed, right? And when you watch TV, your, your eyeballs don't move. You're in the most receptive place. So here you are in the most receptive place. You know, they say the average 30-year-old American has already watched 2 million commercials. Amazing book. It's called um, In the Absence of the Sacred by a guy named Jerry Mander. You know, and this is where I was getting the statistics from. So um, if anybody wants to read that. Um, but when you watch TV, your eyeballs don't move, right? So here you are. And, and when your eyeballs don't move, you're in this most receptive psychological place. It's called alpha level. It's just what happens when your eyeballs don't move that coincidentally they don't move when you watch TV. So here you are in this most receptive place. Look what you're putting in. You know, every commercial basically says the same thing. You're not good enough the way you are. You'd be much better if you had this. They even design commercials, they hire psychologists to design the commercial to make you feel so inadequate about yourself that you have an urge to buy their product. This is capitalism gone friggin' sick, right? So since the time we could open our eyes, we've had this message put into our mind, right? And we end up believing this stuff, right? And then we all spend the right, and then that doesn't count the fact that we're born in a Christian culture. And if you're born in a Christian culture, that means you're born a fucking sinner, you're born a sinner, and they so you're tainted from birth. You're, you're wrong. The moment you're born, you're a fuck-up, right? And they never teach us in Christianity how we can get out of that. So we're fucked up from the time that we're born, and we're constantly, that message is reinforced by constantly telling us you're not good enough. If you're, you know, you want to play basketball, and you're not good enough, you don't make the team. You want to be homecoming queen, you're not pretty enough, you don't get it. You wanted the trip to Washington, D.C., so you want to try to win the essay contest. Five people win. Every kid in the school pours their heart and soul into it. But you're telling all of them there's a, there wasn't good enough. These kids get to go. You're, the message is constantly being forced your whole life. You're not good enough. And then you get a whole society of people running around like a chicken with their head cut off trying to fill, fill, fulfill a hole that's not even there. But they told us it was there. And we believed it. And then we bring that into everything. And that's what we're talking about. The disease is the same throughout all genres of activity, throughout all occupations, throughout all nations. And all these great beings came to this planet to deliver this message. They could see the, 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 the sickness that we're lost in, that our mind is rolling in. You know, when they say, hey, wake up, notice that and steer yourself away, right? Like if you notice you're having angry thoughts, just notice I'm having angry thoughts. Now, don't get angry that you're having angry thoughts. That's the trap.
Just notice it, smile, because the most important thing just happened, awareness. That's why the goal of yoga is awareness. So you can start noticing the sick place you dwell and then steer yourself to where you want to be. Well, I want to be in gratitude. Let me start remembering all the things I'm thankful for right now. Steer yourself from the malevolent to the benevolent. That's what a yogi is. The awareness that it takes, and awareness is another word from enlightenment. Enlightenment means, and means to do something. Enlightened means the light, to make light, to bring light to something. Because you can't see in the dark. You can only see when it's light. So enlightenment means to see, which means to create awareness. Because it's only when you're aware of how you are that you can stop doing the shit that's hurting you. Right? Now, it's not easy to stop. You know, we're, I heard some crazy Harvard study that 80% of the thoughts we have are the same thoughts we have every single day, which means the greatest addiction of our life is the place where our mind dwells. And even though our mind dwells in a sick place, we become accustomed to it and comfortable. Like the cigarette smoker is comfortable smoking, even though they're poisoning themselves. So we're comfortable in our sick mentality, even though when you look at the news, you complain about what you see, even though everything you see is coming from you, right? You're fucking responsible for Donald Trump or for anything that's going on. And when I say Donald Trump, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but if you like it or don't like it, you're responsible because, you know, and all I see is people complaining about the way that things are instead of looking at themselves and how they contribute. A lot of people aren't seeing that. And awareness is, it's the base. Like you have to be aware, but awareness doesn't change anything. It just shines the light. Then we have to use our will, right? To, to make the change, to say, yes. hey, hold yes. on a second. This yes. ship's going in the wrong direction. Totally. I gotta get the shit over here. Right. I'm picturing listeners right now on their commute with their tongue hanging out of the mouth going, oh my God, this is me. Oh my God, this is me. Like, how do I, how do I start to become mm -hmm. aware? Because we're, we're always wanting to intellectualize it, right? Like I need the, no how, how do I, how do I become aware? So no how do you doubt. answer that when you have like a beginner yogi that's really at this precipice of like, I want what you're talking about, Brian. How do I, how do I begin? Well, awareness is a muscle. It's a muscle. How do you build a muscle? That's the answer. Work on it, right? Work on awareness. That's the objective of yoga. If you're going to a legit yoga class, and I'm not talking about one of these classes that's all about the pose, right? Because all poses are friggin' stupid, right? Unless, of course, you're gonna do it with awareness. The pose is only a tool, it's like a knife. You can hurt someone with a knife or help someone. What matters is the mind that's wielding the knife. The poses are the same. Poses are not beneficial by themselves because you can do a yoga pose in an aggressive, judgmental, reactive, competitive manner. And that's the way most people do them because that's the way most, that's the way most people are. And if the yoga instructor is only talking about the pose, they're not giving, like they're talking about alignment and all that stuff that you hear most of them talking about then they're not giving the student to be reflective of where their mind's dwelling in the pose. So I, what I notice is, is people bring their shit to yoga and turn yoga into shit, right? Because they're bringing all, you have to bring your shit to yoga. You can't leave it at the door, right? Even if you took a shit at the door, you'd still bring all your shit to yoga because we're talking about a different kind of shit, right? So people bring their shit to yoga and what I notice is they exasperate or exaggerate their shit. They actually are strength because in the middle of yoga, they're strengthening their competitiveness and their criticalness and their react. Can you think of anything on earth you're more judgmental and critical about than your body? So of course that's going to come up for you in yoga. And so unless you have a wise experienced teacher that's trying to help you be reflective of where your mind's dwelling within these poses, you're actually strengthening what's hurting you the most in your own yoga class. And that's what I see happening in my class, which is the impetus, you know, for the lectures I give before my class, just to help people not fall into that trap once we start practicing. So to answer your question, I know I got a little detour is, is if you want the awareness, then you have to start developing it. You know, this is the objective of meditation and yoga to start developing. So you, and a yoga class is supposed to be a community of like-minded people who come together to support each other in a certain mentality because we're not supported on the streets. Right? Like it's hard to be a spark in the middle of the ocean. You keep getting put out. But if a bunch of sparks come together, you get a flame and it's way harder to put out the flame. That's what your yoga class is supposed to be. We're all sparks coming together to support each other. Right? So when we walk out in the street, we can carry this mentality a little bit more effectively and strongly. And maybe, 
you know, that'll rub off on someone else we come we come in, encounter in contact with. But to develop awareness is the same thing as developing anything you want. Work on it. Awareness is just a muscle. You can become enlightened in your first yoga class to a certain degree because it's just a muscle. You can start developing that muscle. Enlightenment isn't something that happens in a moment. Enlightenment is this process of awakening, of this process of strengthening benevolent qualities. And the stronger they become, the more you benefit. Mm-hmm. On every level, but especially health too. We always say a little bit every day over a long period of time. There you go. That's the and, and that and that also is the the least daunting and intimidating, yeah. right? If you put this big trip of this is you know you got to accomplish it's like it's like a being a, 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 a endurance athlete. You know you build into that, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't mean you can't benefit from the first outing. Right, the first outing's amazing. You get your runners high, you get the endorphins. As long as you don't kill yourself, mm-hmm. just go a little bit first time. You don't want to shock the body, anyways. Right, it's not used to it. Right, so you build slowly and slowly and slowly, and it's the same with awareness. It's the gentleness is a muscle, humility. Everything you admire, everything that every great person demonstrated, right? These are all muscles. And the, the crazy thing is, isn't it amazing? Like how every great person that ever walked on the planet that we all agree are great, Jesus or Buddha or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King or Gandhi, you notice none of them ever said you need to stick your legs behind your head, right? But they all said, try to develop the benevolent qualities of your mind. Every one of them, Martin Luther, equality, Gandhi, nonviolence, Buddha, moderation, Jesus, non-judgment, Mother Teresa, compassion, right? It's no coincidence that they were telling us to do this and now modern medicine's telling most of us that most of us that the disease is coming from our mind. Maybe they understood what modern medicine's discovering right now. If you really want to be healthy, look at your mind state. Then you look at the Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali. They say the greatest work in all of yoga, the Yoga Sutras. He doesn't mention yoga poses one time. That's how important they are. They're not. Well, he mentions the, he says one pose, Padmasana which is seated pose because he wants you to meditate, right? The greatest work in all of yoga, there's no mention of yoga poses. Then you travel to India, you search from the bottom to the top. You can't even find physical yoga. At least when I was there, you couldn't find it because that was pre-internet. Now you can Google it and go straight there, but my guess is 99.999% of all yoga in India has nothing to do with physicality. It has to do with devotional practices or meditation practices. In other words, practices that affect your mind. Everywhere you look, they're telling us to address our mind state. But if Harvard's correct, and I think Pantanjali would disagree, Pantanjali might say it's more than 80%, but if Harvard's correct, and like 80% of the thoughts you have are the same thoughts you have every single day, then there's no doubt this is the greatest addiction of our life. And we all know how difficult it is to break addictions, let alone the greatest addiction of our life. I mean, you can't even fathom the ferocity of the withdrawal symptoms you would have to experience dealing with the greatest addiction. And when you understand that, now you know why us Americans have turned yoga into a physical practice because no one wants to fucking deal with that. Let's just analyze our triangle pose and pretend we're doing yoga. Let's kick up and do a handstand and call it yoga. It has nothing to do with yoga, right? But in that case, we don't have to deal with our addiction. And yoga is about dealing with your addiction. You know, when an addict wants to break their addiction, they go to a treatment center for two reasons. They want to get away from negative influences and create a supportive environment. Well, when the yogis wanted to deal with their addiction, they did the same exact thing. They left their communities and they went to a treatment center. They called it an ashram or a hermitage or a temple. All that is, is a yogic treatment center, right? A place where they can get away from everything that was affecting them negatively and they can focus on what affects them benevolently, right? And if you, you know, and we don't, and I'm sure we're not going to get convinced people to leave their lives and go to, you know, a yogic treatment center, but, you know, you could say for that hour every day you practice or that half hour, that two hours, whatever it is, that is your time. Maybe once a year, you go away on a retreat or someplace where you can maybe, you know, make some bigger steps because you're taking a little bit, making a little bit more effort, you know, taking a little more time. But you got to create that time for yourself. You know, those are your audience that are saying, oh, how can I develop this? Well, how badly do you want to develop it? 
Because if you want it bad enough, you know, you can develop it. You develop the ability to do a triathlon. That's frick. If you can develop that ability, which actually takes a lot, then I'm sure you could develop awareness. It's just a matter of how badly you want it, which is probably why the yogis understood the importance of challenge in our life. Because sometimes things just really got to get bad before you're willing to make a shift. You know, maybe you got to get divorced in order to finally realize you need to deal with your jealousy issues. You know, maybe you got to become obese and sick before you're willing to finally deal with your dietary choices. You know, so maybe these difficult things are not bad if they're forcing you to look at things and deal with them. Because maybe you just weren't willing to do it up to that point. Even though the universe was giving you little signals, those little signals were not worth dealing with that addiction yet. Because dealing with that addiction is also very, very... My guess is it's the hardest thing on earth. That's my guess. The path of yoga is the hardest thing on earth. But the issue is if your goal is wellness, you have no choice. We need to start taking baby steps in this direction. And that's what I'm here to support, you know, to whatever degree I can. I love it. I love it. And, you know, we, we bring this to the endurance sports world because we believe that endurance athletes have the discipline and the work ethic that it takes to walk this path. And it has, you know, fully transformed our lives and keeps calling more life through us and calling us to more. And, um, we're really, really grateful to be connected with you and for all that amazing wisdom you just dropped on this community. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian, from the bottom of my heart. We really welcome. appreciate you welcoming us into your home and sharing so generously. You know, I just looked at the clock. That was an hour. Yeah, dude. How? Totally. What? So the, fast, right? I mean, I'm stunned. Yeah. Like, is she, I'm like, is she ending this right now? And then I looked at the clock, go all up. She's ending this Why right now. Why is she now. cutting me off? It's only been 15 minutes. No, seriously. Yeah. I mean, like if I could guess, I'd say we'd be talking, we've been talking 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll you know? have to listen to it. Yeah. I just looked at the clock. I know it's been a solid, it's been an hour and five minutes. Yeah. That's present moment awareness, people. When you're present, it just flows. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. My we honor and my pleasure. Thank you for, Thank you, you know, Brian. giving me that opportunity. And as people know, if they want, they can, uh, Always go to poweryoga.com. You know, we stream classes. And, you know, I don't know, you guys, I don't know how you feel, but I don't know if there's ever been a more important time in the world to stream classes. Because every yoga studio is closing right now with this coronavirus. Every business is closing. Um, and yet you can turn online, go online and you can be right in the middle of a yoga class, you know. And in my classes, they're live. So you really hear people moaning and groaning and laughing. (laughs) So there's these moments when you're streaming my classes that you actually forget you're at home. Like you're actually like, because you get just lost in the flow, just like everybody in class. And then you're like, oh shit, I am at home, right? But Yeah, uh, and I don't have to get in my car and drive now because I'm so yoga high. Uh, but yeah, so where can people, you know, get that stuff? Poweryoga.com. Poweryoga.com. Where are you most active on social where people can follow you? Well, one more thing about poweryoga.com too, is just so you guys know, we have multitudes of classes for free. So I, you know, I created something called donation based yoga a long time ago. Now there's a lot of other studios doing it, which is beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, but when I started, there was nobody, you know, and, and that's really something I'm passionate about. Like yoga is not a business. Like, you know, people, everybody has the right to practice yoga, regardless of how rich you are. So, you know, that was the impetus behind donation-based yoga, making it available to everybody. And um, so when we went online, which was um, much harder to do donation-based yoga because um, of the all that it took to create what I created, you know, we wanted to make sure there was yoga available to people that weren't financially able to buy anything. So, you know, we do have this amazing membership for a great price that gives you access to thousands of classes and all this content, but there's certainly enough on there for free. So if this, any of this resonates with you, everything that I mentioned here is voiced in every single one of my classes and, um, and supported. 
And so you can go online, you can do classes for free, and, and um, you can work on this stuff. Do you have an LSD class up there? I have an LSD class. Hell yeah. And um, yeah, you can also, um, you know, Brian Cast Power Yoga, I believe, is the Facebook thing. And um, Brian Cast, I think, is the Instagram thing. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure what my, you know, I don't, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm on that stuff because, you know, if you're running a business, you have to be on that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's where people get their information. Um, but I have no personal Facebook site or Instagram site. You know, I'm, uh, I don't want to partake more in that computer stuff than I have to. Um, but that, that stuff is available there. Yeah. So what would be one thing that you'd like this audience to take away from our conversation today? Go to poweryoga.com and start practicing yoga or... Honestly speaking, you know, I mean, I know that the way I, um, the way I share yoga isn't, not everybody resonates with that way. You know, we're all, we all resonate with a different vibe and, you know, there's some people out there who are, you know, more yin and softer and maybe I might be a little harsh for them. And, you know, there's a lot of yoga out there, you know, you can get a lot of free stuff on YouTube, you know, there's a ton of content out there. So that's the thing is just, you know, start yeah. you know it's like again you know when the student's ready the teacher appears it doesn't matter where you go online to do it because wherever you go is going to open up other doors that's going to bring more stuff into your life and those things will open up other doors and you know this information is going to start flooding into you but you got to start somewhere so just get your ass to a yoga class even if it's online you know start the process and um, so, you know that's my suggestion love it Awesome. awesome. Thanks cool. so Thank much. You. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me.